Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideIndieSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame received a huge commitment Thursday, and it didn't come from a high schooler. Director of Recruiting Chad Bowden has agreed to stay at Notre Dame despite Michigan pursuing him with a pay raise and an increased role. To discuss this news and some actual high school recruits Notre Dame is pursuing, we reached out to our old pal and legendary recruiting analyst Tom Lemming. Tom has been out on the road just like college coaches during the contact period, and he joins us from his vehicle right now. Tom, thanks for joining us. Well, I'm always a pleasure, Tyler. <laughs> Tom, let, let's and start Eric. with let's start with the Chad <laughs> Bowden news. How big of a deal is it to keep Chad Bowden in place at, at Notre Dame despite Michigan coming after him? I think it's a great it's a big deal because you know he's he's a right hand man of Marcus. He was at Cincinnati when he came to Notre Dame. He was the defensive recruiter, and then when Marcus took over as head coach, he took over. So he's been there in place. And um, this coming year, 2025, seems like it's going to be a special recruiting year. The other years have been similar to Kelly's years, but it looks like they've um, moved it up. I'm not sure about dressing up as leprechauns, if that helped or not, but everything else they've done has been fantastic. And and uh, Chad's the leader of that group of the guys. So it's good to keep everything the same as you go into this great uh, 2025 class, because it's really looking to be a special class for Notre Dame and maybe to rival Vinny Serrato's four number one classes of the late eighties up to 1990. So you got to be excited about it. You got to be excited about keeping Chad. And I'm sure Marcus was excited about it also. Tom, just from your experience, I mean, we have a million Vinny Serrato stories of how he was different, innovative, ahead of the curve and so forth. What makes Chad so good at what he does and such a good fit for Notre Dame in your opinion? It's 100% his personality, and he seems to really connect with the recruits. He's a young guy, so he's not too far away from uh, their own age. I noticed uh, I was probably like that 40 years ago. And so <laughs> now I was at I was just over at Oscar Smith High School, and the Michigan uh, guy was there, recruiting guy. And um, he was uh, talking to the kids like they were best friends because he calls them every day. And he's he's close to their age, but to me, it's like children that I'm talking to. I don't want to get in there, but I think Chad's uh, for the next few years will be close in their age, and I think that's very important. These kids kind of identify with young guys. Marcus is a young coach, so they identify with him. Uh, Nick Saban is a legend, so they identify with him, but not as a a guy they can talk to sort of on an equal par like they can with Chad. And I think that's important. And I think uh, keeping uh, status quo at Notre Dame is very, very important because it does look like it's going to be a special year. The last couple of years got off to great starts like that. And then, you know, they wound up uh, somewhere between nine and 15 or something. Like the same as Coach Kelly. But I do I do think this is going to be a special year and keeping the guy who's actually organizing it, Chad Bowden, I think that's a very big plus. Tom, you mentioned seeing a Michigan coach out on the road. There some coaches choose to make themselves known in different ways. What's the most interesting thing you've seen out on the road when it's these coaches making their way to campuses and, and making visits with these, with these recruits? I think sometimes the head coaches embarrass themselves by trying to act like they're one of the kids. Maybe what coach Kelly did when he first got to LSU, uh, <laughs> you know, they're trying to impress everybody. You mean the dancing remember. Tom, the dancing <laughs> and his accent and everything else. And I do. But I, I, I was um, uh, seeing a kid that Notre Dame's after, Dallas Golden. I spent, I had gotten there early, but then the head coach is also from Chicago and a guy I've known for a long time said, hey, I'm sorry, but Mike is coming in, Florida State head coach, Norvell, and he comes in in a helicopter real loud and they gave a golf cart to Golden and he went out to greet him and I waited for him to come in. Then very next day, I was at Verrat High School with a quarterback in Bishop, Bishop Verrat, um, Fort Myers. And Mike was there in another helicopter. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what it seems to be, and I remember I was with, uh, not the name drop, but I was with the singer Tim McGraw at a high school game a few years ago. And Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, both at Alabama at the time, all of a sudden come over the little high school press box in a helicopter, making a ton of noise. Everybody else stopped and people were scared and then landed right next to the field. Nick Saban and Kirby Smart got out five minutes, you know, watched uh, the DB, Rico McGraw, who they're looking at. Then got right back in the heli helicopter and took off. It was unique back then, 10 years ago. Now, 
it's almost like, well, we think these kids are going to be really mesmerized by the shining objects that are flying in the sky and a head coach alights from the helicopter. And we're going to get them because they're, they fall in love with that shiny object. But to me, helicopters aren't working that much either because everyone's doing it. Kirby Smart's been bouncing around the entire South with helicopters. The Miami head coach was in Chicago doing five degrees below zero weather with a helicopter. That's very dangerous too. So uh, I think I think it's running its course with helicopters. I don't know if you've heard this, but Chad Bowden has has tried to pitch Marcus Freeman on jumping out of a helicopter when recruits are on campus. <laughs> <laughs> you mean dressed as a leprechaun? <laughs> yeah. Well, the oh, helicopter just, will go well with the helicopter parents. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But I just think that everybody's looking for that edge, and helicopters. They think. I, I actually asked Dallas and asked a lot of the people, they're not impressed with a helicopter anymore. Only the coaches are and their staff are impressed with a helicopter. But the kids have seen too many of them now. They're all over the South there. Everybody's bouncing around. So you watch in a few years, the NCAA will stop use of helicopters going from school to school, which may save some lives. Because I remember I saw um, Kirby Smart do it a couple of years ago in Tampa on a Friday. And two days later, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter out in uh, uh California's and mm-hmm. Calabasas. So they're dangerous. Uh, and at least in my opinion, uh, especially if you're in windy conditions and stuff, it's, and I think, I don't think it's worth it to, uh, I remember uh, the head coach at LSU and one of those private planes uh, flying over the Atlantic and they crashed in there and uh, he passed away not too long, maybe 30 years ago. So Tom, so, you get to all, all over the country. How many recruits do you get? How, how many recruits do you see in person per year? Do you say uh, over a thousand? And okay, I, I so. see um, on this trip, it's over 300 already. Cause I had 110 kids meet me uh, in uh, just Broward County alone. Okay. Broward and, 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 um, and uh, Nate Dade in Broward County in South Florida. So when you're evaluating recruits, what is the easiest position to evaluate? What is the most difficult one for you to evaluate? and put stars on it. I think the easiest is wide receiver. They're in abundance. Uh, It's athletic ability. You watch them on film for five minutes. You know the great ones. You know, you can see the Ryan Williams or the uh, Jeremiah Smiths right away. And I went to see those guys a couple of times. Uh, That's the easiest position. I think the hardest could be uh, two offensive linemen or quarterbacks. And a lot of times it's quarterbacks. You know, you can see the five stars. I like to give five stars to at least six or seven a year. If they're just great, I just saw a kid named Hart down in Cocoa, Florida. He looks like a five-star play through for 4,000 yards. He's 6'5". He's got the arm strength. He needs to put on some muscle and some weight. But again, it all depends on where he goes to school and who's going to work with him. Because I've noticed you can go to Oklahoma before or USC and some of the schools that know how to develop quarterbacks. Notre Dame is not one of those schools. So hopefully Mike Dembrock will change that and so will Geno. But in the past, you can't. Can you think of a great Notre Dame quarterback since uh, Burline or Steve uh, or Joe Montana that actually made it in the NFL? And it came down to really, we they had some big big names coming to Notre Dame, but they never seemed to pan out. And I think a lot of it had to do with maybe overrating, but also uh, quarterback coaches that just didn't really know what they were doing. So l- let me ask you this, because somebody asked me this yesterday Gino Godoli obviously has some track record with Desmond Ritter uh but a lot of Notre Dame fans are concerned well they're they've taken three portal guys in the last four years won't this discourage high school recruits from looking at Notre Dame you just spoke of this young man 2026 quarterback down in Cocoa Florida what's your vibe that you're getting from quarterbacks in terms of whether transfer portal guys are affecting their decisions or not i do think that's a you know that's a great question too but i do think that this is the year for them to stop you got cj carr i mean you got three quarterbacks that are pretty good you got to teach him though and gino i think is a great teacher he was a great quarterback coming out of northern kentucky he was one of my all americans and i really liked him and i do think that he could be a quarterback whisperer there aren't that many around but there are a lot when you watch these bowl games, you see these guys throwing for 500 yards or just immense quarter. You don't see that in Notre Dame, but I think you're going to start seeing it with Denbrock and Gino working together. Now, Denbrock's got a great track record. He just had a Heisman Trophy winner at uh, through for a million yards, it seems like, and ran for a million. So I do think that 
this is the year to stop it. Uh, one of these guys should be the quarterback next year. If not, then Notre Dame could be in trouble with high school guys because then they'll have that track record of never going with a high school uh, a high school quarterback and developing themselves. When was the last high school quarterback you could say Notre Dame really developed? Not only because these kids want to be NFL quarterbacks that developed, and it might have been Steve Berline, Brady Brady Quinn, and Jimmy Clausen did not make it into the uh, NFL. I mean, they got drafted, but never really succeeded great. Berline was the last one who came with Jerry Faust and finished with Lou Holtz. That's it. That's, what, 30-something years ago. Uh, so I think that um, it's time for them to develop a high school quarterback and one that they can hang their hat on and then start recruiting the great ones because everybody wants to come to Notre Dame. They're just worried about the track record. Yeah, quarterback is, recruiting has certainly been on an upward trajectory with C.J. Carr and uh, Deuce Knight in the 2025 class. Uh, the 2026 class, Notre Dame has a number of offers out to – but my sense is they're still trying to figure out maybe who they like the most. I know they went and saw some guys throw like Ryder Lyons, uh, Brady Hart, who you mentioned from Cocoa, Florida, does have another Dame offer already. Brady Smigel was on Notre Dame's campus. Um, Jared Curtis, I believe Notre Dame went to see throw recently. Is there a 2026 quarterback um, in your travels that you that really stands out to you? Yeah, I think the kid from Folsom might be uh, an Ryder Lyons. I've never I, I've never asked Gino about it, but. I think he could be their guy, although they're all really good. I love the kid that's a teammate of Justin Thurman out at Griffin out at Tampa Catholic. Boy, he really impressed me physically. He's the best looking of all of them. He's a stout kid already. Brady's tall, but he needs to put on another 30 pounds or so, and he will do that. He's only going to be a junior this year. Schmeagle, I saw as a freshman. I gave him five stars as soon as I saw him his freshman year on California. Really liked him a lot because, you know, he really proved himself. All these guys have proved themselves already, and I think they're all big-time guys. The kid in Central uh, Florida, the Notre Dame's offered him too. I think he's good, Grubbs, mm-hmm. but um, they seem to have a real good PR system going for him. So a lot of times that makes me a little wary, but he looks good, and hopefully he could uh, be one of them. But I do know that he's got a, a representative that's been pushing him like crazy. I know a former college quarterback who's had a pretty good PR system, when he was a coach at Notre Dame, but we'll move on from that. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there was yeah. none better. Yeah. When you look at just having evaluated these guys and watched them play, let's, let's say Riley Leonard um, ends up being the starter this year and Notre Dame goes to the playoff. And so they commit themselves to not go to the portal. Who do you like? Out, emerging from that pack, assuming they all stay at Notre Dame, and Jelly, Minchie, Carr, and even Deuce Knight the following year. Who do you, who would you, if you were betting on a horse, which of those horses would you bet on? Right now, I'd bet on Carr, although Steve looked very good in the bowl game. So he's got, I think, I got a leg up right now. Muncie's got very athletic, but he had gotten hurt in high school and he needs development. Deuce Knight, if you watch him, really needs development. He's tall. He's got a great arm. But I saw him play last year, and I wasn't that excited about him when he played a couple of big games at, over at Lipscomb on TV his first couple of games. He does have the ability, but that's going to come down to Geno and Denbrock really working with him and developing. But he's not going to be ready, Deuce Knight, at all. I think uh, you got to give him a couple of years. Athletic ability-wise, he's probably got more than anybody. But he, uh, I think he's the farthest down the – the pipeline when it comes to development and he's going to need a little help. But CJ Carr, he grew up as a quarterback. His dad was a quarterback. Obviously Lloyd Carr was, and I think uh, CJ comes in and CJ impresses you right away. Physically. When I first saw him, he was a skinny little kid. Then I saw him this past April and boy, he put on some weight and muscle and CJ is a big time ball player. So I think you can't say one guy for sure. Cause they they're all very good. So I do think that, uh, Gino and, and Mike have a lot to work with and just comes down to who they're going to feel the most comfortable. They're going to play the guy who they think is going to lead them to a national title. And I think that's a great thing. Uh, Tom, you spoke about the 2025 class. Now you think that class has a chance to be special. I'm curious, are there certain guys in the class that are already committed that you really like? I know we, we talked a little bit about Deuce Knight, um, Ivan Taylor, and Christopher Burgess, I think are the two next highest rated on uh, at least on our rival system. 
Um, but most of them are at least four stars. When you look at Davion Dixon and the two running backs, um, a few defensive ends, James Flanagan, tight end out of um, Wisconsin. Who who really stands out to you in this 2025 committed class? Everybody you just mentioned stands out. That's how good his <laughs> class is. But Flanagan, Flanagan, I love, you know, his dad was one of my All-Americans back in 89. But Flanagan's got the height. He's got the athletic ability. He's a hockey star. You know, he's a track star, just like his dad. His dad was, a, I think, the national champ as a shot putter. And they're all, he's just a great talent. Ethan, uh, the DB out of Connecticut, along with the tackle out at Black, mm-hmm. those are really good ball players. I went to New England. I spent a lot of time with all those guys, including uh, Matty Augustine and Rowan Byrne and a lot of the, the quarterback who's going, I think, to Georgia from uh, Massachusetts. There's some pretty good players out there, but Ethan reminded me of a big physical safety. Really impressed me a lot as a ball player. Great range, very confident. I think he's going to be a star. And uh, I was really impressed with the way they're going after, you know, even Justin Thurman, he can fly. He's not as big as the uh, um, some, some of the other backs they have, but he can run, he can catch, could be a wingback, could be a running back. Justin's very fast, very athletic. Everybody they've gotten, there are no three stars, in my opinion, in this class. And you'll see... A lot of times, and you guys, the websites, a lot of times they take their time and give it, you know, I started the star system 30-something years ago, so, and I've been wrong a lot of times too, but I do know that everybody they've got, I've seen in person so far, and they're all big-time guys. I don't think they have anything less than a four-star right now. That's how good these guys are, and uh, you're going to see a lot of them moving up once people actually see them mm-hmm. in action, but I was very impressed with this group, and, you know, they might get Owen Streberg, Streberg. The tackle I just saw in Missouri a couple of back in uh, November, he really impressed me. He's a big kid, very athletic. Both those guys, Streberg, Streberg is probably the most impressive looking tackle I've seen in the country. So they're in on so many good guys. And then Ivan Taylor, you're right. He's not a big safety, but he's an outstanding safety. He's a big time ball player. So I think Notre Dame's problem is they're going to run out of scholarships before they <laughs> run out of four and five star players. So that's how good this class is. And, um, what they got to do is hang on to a guy like Deuce Knight, mm-hmm. who's from Southern Mississippi. He's from the golf park. And also C.J. May, who's a big-time guy. But he's from Southern Alabama. And you know how Auburn is with all their NIL stuff. Now, they're going to be zooming in on these guys. So will LSU. Well, not LSU. They've got Underwood at quarterback. But some of the other schools are going to be coming up to Deuce. So they've got to hang on to those Southern guys down there and make sure that they're going to stay as part of the uh, class. Tom, um in your travels, and again, this may be too early because they haven't been around that long, but do you hear recruits talking about Denbrock and Mike Brown as the new coaches, or is it just a little early for them to have made an impact on recruits? You know, a lot of them that they're recruiting probably don't know who Denbrock is because, you know, he was down in the South in Louisiana the last couple of years, and but he is uh, – uh, in Louisiana, people loved him. Matter of fact, they were really sad to see him go. Mike Brown, though, has a good wide receiver reputation. I didn't. I don't. I guess I met him because I've been to Wisconsin. But whenever I go there, the head coach brings me into a room and goes real fast with all ten guys. Remember, remember, <laughs> I can't remember his name, but I but I did meet. I guess Mike, and I think he's uh What I've read about him and what the kids are talking about, they really like him. So I thought losing Stucky would be tough because the kids liked him. But they love Mike Brown, and he's got a great reputation as a as a coach, a player's coach. So I think he's a, he's a great addition. I think um, Marcus has done a real good job. You bringing in him and Denbrock uh, recently, I think, really helps solidify this class. I think it's the best staff that I've seen in 30 years at Notre Dame since Barry Alvarez left and Vinny left and all those guys back in the early 90s left. Uh, Holtz had at one time a great staff. When you have four number one classes in a row, you know it's a great staff. But because of their success, those guys left. Holtz, who did not know a lot of guys himself, then they started replacing with a lot of guys that were left a little bit to be desired, and uh, and it cost them. That's why Holtz's last couple years weren't that great. After the 1990 class, I blame Kevin Rooney, the admissions director. He was just maybe part of it because they weren't letting some of the guys in that they did with that great 90 class. But that was the downfall of Notre Dame after the 93 class graduated. All those great players were gone. Recruiting took a massive nosedive. And every now and then they'd have a number one class like they did with Mike Rosenthal and all those guys from that uh, 94 class. And then the, the um, uh, well, the Kyle, Kyle Rudolph class with a lot of those, that was 
number one oh, class. Yeah, Dane Chris. After, Dane Chris class. They, they had so many. Michael Floyd was in that class. A lot of good ball players. And uh, Ryan, who's now doing broadcast for Notre Dame, along with Trevor Laws and uh, uh, the uh, John Carlson, it was an outstanding class. But Notre Dame never put two good classes together. Tyrone had a good class, then two horrible classes. Oh. Davy never really had a great class. And um, Charlie had a one really good class, but then horrible defensive classes. So you saw that Marcus and Chad are putting together good classes year after year, consistently good. Kelly did that. He had a couple of bad years, but so far Marcus hasn't had a bad year, and I think uh, that's going to pay off in the long run. I do think that Notre Dame put themselves in a position. They don't have the talent yet of Georgia, but I do think they're in position to win a national title with some luck. And if they could beat A&M, I think they could run the table for next year if the quarterback uh, is set. And it all comes down to Leonard, who really hasn't really proved himself as a great passer. And I think that's up to Denbrock and Gino. If he is, I think Notre Dame could run the table and be right in the hunt for the national title because they certainly have enough players coming back to do just that. They also got to win their oh, – look good in their away games, which sometimes could be a problem for them. Tom, I wanted to ask you about a couple wide receivers. First, uh, Elijah Burris is one of the – First new offers at wide receiver that Mike Brown made since coming to Notre Dame. I, I was kind of surprised that Plaxico Burris's son didn't have more attention on him. Notre Dame was his biggest offer by a wide margin when Notre Dame offered earlier this winter, and I think some schools are starting to catch on. How how good of a talent do you think Elijah Burris is? I liked him a lot. I saw him a year and a half ago when he had only one or two small offers, but his coach is a buddy. All those brothers out there, you know, at um, – Bergen Catholic and DePaul and one at Rutgers. There's four uh, Campanelli brothers. I've known them for years. So Vito's brother at DePaul brought him out to meet me about a year and a half ago. I really, and then when I found out it was Plexco, I saw in high school, who was like six, six, he don't look like his dad, mm-hmm. uh, but he's uh, he, he was a talented kid. I think Mike Brown likes more than most of the other people. I thought him as a high three-star guy. I didn't think him as a four-star. His stats were pretty pedestrian. And but he does have the bloodlines and he's got the athletic ability. So I think Mike Brown could bring that out of him. But I was surprised that Notre Dame offered him after you know it's kind of a so-so uh, year. And, and but uh, I think they must have saw something in him that uh, they really liked. So I think he's a player. But again, um, he played at DePaul Catholic and was a good ball player, but not a great one. Another receiver Notre Dame is trending with is Derek Meadows out of, out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. And his recruitment is really starting to blow up. He's starting to add uh, a lot of SEC offers. I think Alabama and Georgia have come his way. Uh, Michigan has joined the, the fray there. Notre Dame offered him last summer. What What do you think of him as a talent? And do you think that's a recruitment that Notre Dame can win? I really like I saw him a year ago. Um, I, I, I always get the guys at Bishop Gorman because I've been doing it for a <laughs> ton of years because they have almost every top player in Vegas. Yeah. There's always a couple from the other schools, but – I get every, I get those other players to meet me at Vegas, at uh, Gorman, and I've known the Gorman guys. Matter of fact, you know, I was one saw the Fertitti brothers. One I helped get to Villanova, and then Nico. Um, I talked to Dad and just sent him to the Notre Dame camp, and it worked out good because I think didn't he fund their indoor facilities? <laughs> so it worked out good for Kelly. I don't, and Nico was a good special teams player, but Meadows has got height. You know, remind me of a guy before you guys were born. Maybe not Eric, but you were born. Name uh, Pete Houlihan at Notre Dame. In the late seventies, a tall, athletic, and faster than people thought he was, and that's kind of reminds me of him. Samarja guys like that that were great hands guys. This is Derek, but he can run when you watch him. I was surprised when I saw him a year ago, and um, he had a, he had some offer, not Notre Dame at the time, but he had some offers, and I really liked Derek. And Bishop Gorman now is Notre Dame friendly because of the Fertitti family who donated almost the whole school to them. So I do think that Notre Dame. If they put the time and effort into Gorman players, they, if they have the grades, they can get a good number of them. Hey, I, I'm not that old. I was at the grocery store last <laughs> night and asked for the senior <laughs> discount, which is 55 and over, and the lady made me show her my ID. I think she was flirting with me. But, uh, uh, yeah, so you did the Army game, uh, All-Star game, which I think people are confused. What's the Army game versus the one in San Antonio? This one was in Frisco, Texas, and it's going to gain some momentum and be bigger next year. But you had um, three Notre Dame guys 
there, two of them healthy, and Micah Gilbert and Bodie Cahoon. And I think you were pretty impressed with those guys. What did you see from those two? I did the broadcast, but the day before we talked, Houston Nutt was one of the coaches, and um, Noel um, Mazzoni was the other coach, and and Josh Booty was there. And boy, did they brag uh, about Bodie. Uh, you know, I, he was there, and they were talking about practice. And Noah said he scared him. He looked at him with a mean, intense look at practice. Like, Bodie, I think, has a lot to prove because he came out of uh, a different sport. And a lot of people have been bad-mouthing him, saying he's not that good and this and that. Believe me, he is good. I think he's going to impress a lot of people with another 10 or 15 pounds of muscle. They don't. There's no need for any of these guys to play right away. Notre Dame's got some pretty good linebackers ahead of him. But you watch, Bodie could turn into a – he can run, but he's got that intensity that the coaches brought to me in the meeting before our broadcast and really liked him. Micah Gilbert, I think, caught – 89 passes that game that we played. He was, <laughs> if you watch the game, he, he kept catching passes. He was amazing. I don't know if Micah, Micah's got world-class speed, but he sure can catch the ball, and he's a good big-frame type wide receiver, and I think he's going to surprise people. He fits in another – Notre Dame has nobody that can run uh, at, at wide receiver. They need a 4-3 <laughs> guy. What I mean, a Rocket Ishmael or uh, Will Fuller or a Tim Brown type guy that can spread the defense. That's what Notre Dame needs. I'm seeing a guy Sunday out of um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that Notre Dame has offered, who can run a 4-3. That's the kind of guy that Mike Brown should be after instead of these big physical guys. They're all good. What's his name? Um, I knew you were going to ask that. When I see him, I <laughs> okay. click in my head. Okay. Uh, but uh, hang on. I'm going to look right here. I'm going to give it to you because Notre Dame offered him. And, um, when I think actually, of he's Harrisburg, been I think of Ricky it's, uh, I got it. It's Lex Cyrus, right? That's him? That's it. Lex. Yeah. I should remember that name. I'll remember it after I see him. But he runs a 10-3, 10, 10 400 meters. He can fly, and he can fly on a football field. Notre Dame is – when was the last time they had a guy like that that can actually catch the ball and fly? Not many. I mean, yeah, maybe Will, Will, Will Fuller. Fuller. Will Fuller, yeah. I, I mean, I think guys, there's hope that maybe Chris Mitchell from FIU is something like that. I don't think he's going to be Will Fuller good, but at least that kind of – No, he's not. He's not in a – you know, and they've got they've had guys like Michael Floyd, big physical receivers, but not these guys that. And that's why Notre Dame's tight ends have been leading the the team in receive, receptions because they didn't have receivers that would scare a cornerback where they would maybe take a couple extra yards uh, of a cushion. They're the cushion. They were right on the nose of all the receivers almost the whole year. You get a guy that can run a four three and knows how to run routes, then they're going to have to, uh, you know, and then they're going to have to respect Notre Dame's offense, and that brings another dimension to the offense that they haven't had in a long time. Yeah. And uh, I think Mike Brown can, they can get a guy like Lex Cyrus. They're going to be in business. Uh, how about well, a guy from your neck of the woods, Cam Williams? Can he be that? Yeah. Cam can run a 10, 800 meters. He could be a guy that could, uh, he's not as fast as Cyrus, but he's bigger and he can run. Cam Williams really impressed me. He's a mature, uh, extremely good route runner. He's got good hands, but he's got confidence. He, he actually, I remember when I met Marcus uh, when he was a high school junior, and then I put Marcus as the captain of the U.S. Army game, I think 2005. The reason we did, Marcus was 18 going on 30. And just because I think because of his military <laughs> background. And the same thing with Cam Williams. Cam is a mature guy, and I think he's going to be a team leader. But the good thing is he can fly. Uh, and like I said, and they, they desperately need a, a couple of receivers that can keep a defense honest. And uh, they don't have that right now. The last thing I want to ask you, Tom, I think this is the last thing we'll ask you before Tyler gets all where people can find you on the internet. But uh, Tyson Ford was a guy that was really highly ranked. He's going to be going into his junior year. He's bounced between positions, had a great attitude, hard worker, changed his body a couple times. If you were betting, would you bet on him? Or do you think uh, maybe he was misevaluated? I gave him, I gave him, I had him as a low four star when he came out, not a high four star. I liked him. He's when I went down to Missouri to see him, he was a big guy that can run, but his stats were good, but not great. My thing is I got to see everybody in person, but also after you do that, watch him on film or, and watch if their, if their production is great. And I remember, you know, I think um, when you, when you watch somebody, he's got Notre Dame's big on length. He had great length. I think, if they miss, they miss because they miss a lot of these guys that 
are uh, great players with great production. There's a kid in Chicago named Gabe Kaminsky. I've been telling Notre Dame they got to go after him. 19 sacks, 49 tackles for losses, led his team to a state title. He's six two and a half. They think that might be a little short. I'll guarantee you he'll wind, in, wind up in the NFL. He goes to Wisconsin, Michigan, or Iowa. But Notre Dame is, is sometimes stuck on – this staff wasn't around when what's-his-name came out of Pittsburgh, the Rams uh, Hall of Famer, future Aaron, Hall of Famer. Aaron Donald. Yeah, but Notre Dame turned him down. He wasn't. He didn't have length. and uh, But he was unbelievably productive in Pittsburgh, if you remember. And I put him in our first uh, Semper Fi game when I left the Army game. And uh, he was – Biff Pogey was the head coach on, on my East team back then. And he just kept saying, this kid can't be stopped. You could see that in film. Don't worry about him being 5'11 and a half. Notre Dame just turned it on. We can't go after a 5'11 and a half defensive tackle. And look what happened. All right, Tom. So that's my – I'm off my – I'm off my uh, – now, uh, still, I'm not going to be uh, preaching anymore, but I think Notre Dame should be after Gabe Kaminsky. Uh, they probably won't be offered him, but I think they're slow playing him, and I think that'll be a big mistake. All right. Well, we'll see if that changes. Tom, we really appreciate ta- taking time to talk to us, and we'll let you get back to your travels. You can follow Tom on Twitter slash X at Lemming Report. Um, you get, he, he tweets out uh, videos and photos of his travels across the country with top high school recruits and when, when will the 2024 prep football report be coming out? It'll be out uh, uh, um, July 31st. And then our, my TV shows, the ones I'm filming will start mid September. And that's also the learning report. That's the, so I could remember the name of it. I, uh, <laughs> I've lost a lot of brain cells in these travels now. And then uh, just uh, it, it's all, it's exhausting driving the entire country, but really it's profitable for me because I get to see everybody Right or wrong, you see them in person, you can tell their exact size. And when you talk to them, see how important football is to the ball player. You can't really tell that on the phone or anything, but you got to see. Because I think you get great-looking ball players, but if football is a means to an end, uh, then a lot of times they don't develop that way. But you can tell when you sit down and see. It's got to be – got to be a great athlete, but you also got to want it. And uh, I would say maybe a good half of the players don't really want it as much as the other half, and that's why those guys are the ones that wind up college All-Americans, and eventually into the NFL. All right, well, Tom. Tell you, Bryce Young is six foot seven, according to Notre Dame, measuring coming in the door, so he must be still growing. Well, you know, I saw Brian Young. Um, I helped him with his recruitment in Chicago back in 88, 89. So he had called me when his son was a freshman, and he was much smaller than that. I would say Brian's 6'3", almost 6'4". He was about the same height as his dad, but only at 2'10", when I first saw him. And now he's uh, he's going to be a monster. And you know what? I remember two years ago when he was a sophomore, he sacked Michigan's future quarterback, Jaden Davis, twice in that game I watched. And you can see the the athletic ability there. And all he had to do is put on 30 pounds. And he's done that already before he got to Notre Dame. So I think he could be the big, big surprise. of um, uh, I gave him four, four stars plus, And I think I may have shortchanged him because he could turn into a five-star. Well, you're a five-star to us, Tom. We appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of our subscription promo for InsideIndieSports.com. We're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to the site. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Insider Lounge message board, and you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. When you sign up for a subscription on InsideIndieSports.com, you can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us is from Ron, at Ron, bunch of numbers. With Riley Leonard looking like he will miss winter and maybe part of spring practice, it would seem Steve Angeli or Kenny Mitchie will have an opportunity to win the starting quarterback position. Your thoughts? My thoughts are when inaccurate information gets reported and then it gets into the aggregation uh, ecosystem that it just doesn't go away. So we're talking to Riley Leonard Friday um, and we'll get the all the details of what's going on with him straight from the horse's mouth. But He's not expected to miss spring practice. Um, there are aspects of winter workouts that he would miss. 
and just in general, when players have legs or something on their leg, knee, foot, ankle, a lot of times they're able to do the upper body stuff. Um, so I don't know how much he's missing other than maybe some uh, informal throwing with his teammates. But even if he were to miss all of winter and all of spring, which unless he falls down the stairs, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, they would not say, well, guess what? You're out of spring. You can't compete to be the starting quarterback at Notre Dame anymore. He would still have the summer and fall camp to compete for that. So I don't think it changes the dynamic of the quarterback competition. Yeah, I uh, all the accuracies aside, I, I don't think there's a very realistic chance for anyone to win the starting job over Riley Leonard unless he's injured at the end of August. Like I just think that's the reality of the situation. Um Steve Angeli is going to be given a chance in theory. Um, but I don't know that it's going to be a chance in reality necessarily um to beat him out unless Riley Leonard looks nothing like what he what he has been at Duke and, and what Notre Dame expects him to be. Um, I expect Riley Leonard to be the starting quarterback as long as he's healthy. All right, next question is from Charles W. At Charles W. Wolf, was the Leonard surgery a surprise, a surprise to Notre Dame, or something that all parties knew about when he entered the portal? Uh, again, we'll kind of let him answer that, but let me give you a more generic answer, Charles. Generally, when – well, not generally, always when – there's new enrollees show up, whether it's in June or January, they do physicals. And so there, there have been a lot of high school recruits in the past since this transfer thing or transfers in big numbers is kind of new for Notre Dame, where they come in and Notre Dame's either known about a lingering injury and they said, hey, why don't you wait till you get here? We'll clean it up. Then you'll have the rehab support and everything else. And, and so that happens a lot. So Dalen Hayes and Jack Kaiser. And then there's guys um, like Charles Jagaza. He actually was a June enrollee, but Notre Dame was on top of things with his recovery, even from a distance. With Riley Leonard, I mean, they were at the game where he was injured. Mm -hmm. uh, he also had a turf toe injury. I don't think probably his injury or his injury history wasn't a surprise walking in the door. What may have happened, what may have happened is when he had his physical, they said, you know what, let's, this looks a little dicey still, let's get this cleaned up and then you'll be ready to go for spring. So minor, very minor surgery and, and get it cleaned up. That may have been what the case may be. And again, we'll have Riley's word on it tomorrow. Yeah. And there can be a dis difference in opinion from training and medical staffs too, right? Like Duke, Duke staff could have said, you know what? You don't need it to have surgery um, to, to rehab this. And then Notre Dame is like, no, we've, we've actually had guys that had this issue before. And this surgery has really been um, a positive for them. So we suggest you doing this. And then Notre Dame has its hands on him and is going to, can guide him through the recovery to that. Um, so those kinds of things happen a lot. Um, maybe not with always with transfers, but with guys that are coming in as freshmen, um, I think I think part of the confusion that has happened it, beyond the reporting is that he was in a workout video that Notre Dame released. Um, now I think you only see him like yelling, and it's like from the shoulder up. So was he <laughs> was his injured body, inju lower body injured at that point? What was he doing? I think they were doing some sort of squats or something. I haven't gone back and actually watched the video, but he yells out like a guttural scream. Um, so he was definitely working out in an intense way. Um, so I think that has added to the confusion of, okay, what was the timeline of all these things happening? Um, so, uh, obviously Notre Dame knew about his injury history. Um, I, I don't think, um, that exactly, I don't know that there was a decision made before he came to Notre Dame of what, whether or not he needed a surgery, but we'll, we'll be able to get clarity on that from, from Riley Leonard when he speaks to us, unless he doesn't want to talk about it, he might not want to talk about it either, but. Um, he'll have a chance to say what he wants to about it uh, on Friday. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. How many Notre Dame players do you think will get drafted this year, and who do you think they will be? Also, can you predict what day they will be drafted? 
So, um, you know, there's two, well, there's three very prominent underclassmen, true juniors and Joe Alt, Blake Fisher and Audric Estime. There are five players at the Senior Bowl, which is played Saturday at one o'clock Eastern time. And that's Cam Hart, Javante Jean-Baptiste, J.D. Bertrand, Maris Leofau, and Sam Hartman. And so out of that group, I would say the low end of being drafted would be five and the high end, maybe eight if all those guys got drafted. I don't think D.J. Brown's going to get drafted. And Spencer Schrader, I don't even know if he wants to play pro football. He's got a pretty lucrative business going on, um, and he – he has a life beyond football, so he would probably have a choice. So the guys that, for me, are on the borderline of draft or priority free agents would be Bertrand, Leah Fallon, Hartman, and I think their performance at the Senior Bowl and the Combine slash Pro Day may be very important to them, whether they hop into the draft or don't make the draft. And then I can go round by round once, we, once Tyler answers. Yeah, I... Uh... I think you, you, I'm I, I'm in agreement with all the guys that are like the candidates there. I I said that all eight would. I have no idea if all eight will. Um, it's a little early in that process for me to have feel strongly one way or the other. And also, like I feel like we always sort of overestimate or overvalue some of the Notre Dame guys. But sometimes we end up being right. Like I don't know how Kyle Hamilton went so late in the draft, <laughs> um, and he looks like one of the best defenders in, in the NFL right now. Um, so. I think the the only other guy that you didn't mention that I think is, would be a borderline candidate would be Thomas Harper. Um, yeah, go back. Um, I, I don't think he will get he will get drafted, but maybe I don't I don't really know. Um, so yeah, that would be eight picks. Um, so he, here's how I broke it down in terms of days. I don't. I have Joe Alt as a day one pick. I had Estime Fisher and Hart as day two picks. Um, and Javante Jean-Baptiste, Sam Hartman, Maris Leofau, and J.D. Bertrand as day three picks. That's exactly how I broke it down. And then D.J. Brown, Spencer Schrader, and then Thomas Harper, since I forgot him, as guys that could make it into camp and maybe survive a camp and make a practice squad. Yeah, and I mean, if we're talking about that, like, why can't Michael Vincent do that too? Right. I don't, I don't know what uh, you, you never really know what people are considering. Well, for yeah. I mean, JJ Jansen made a <laughs> living, I mean, decades in the NFL as a long snapper. So yeah, I mean, Michael Vincent, uh, what's the wide receiver that, um, what was the walk on that became a scholarship guy? Matt that, Salerno. Matt Salerno. I mean, he could certainly try uh, to get, but Michael Vincent, because of his size and just because he was so good at it he would have a chance yeah and scott daly stuck around in the, in the nfl for a bit he uh he's was on the lions this year and I, he got injured um but he was on the lions roster um this season all right uh next question is from ron again ron munson numbers what can you guys share about the linebacker from montreal any information you have learned about him i think um, i think ron needs to spend some time on our website because yeah ron asked about riley leonard uh, who Eric wrote about, and uh, Antoine DeLaurier, I believe is how it's pronounced, uh, is someone that Charleston Bowles wrote a story about. Um, so if you want more information than what we're going to provide here, I would encourage you to go read that story. So go ahead, Eric. Yeah, all that I'll add is he goes to Raybun Gap School in Raybun Gap, Georgia, which is really out in the middle of nowhere. It is kind of on the South Carolina-Georgia border. It's a boarding and day school, and they get a lot of international students there, um, players coming from other countries that have either played football a little bit or played football a lot. They play very good competition. Um, I know Wes Pritchett's son Marshall goes there too, so there's America, a lot of American players on the team. Uh, but... That's what I can add is that Ray Raven Gap is a good high school for kids coming in internationally. Yeah, and uh, West Pritchett's other son went there too, and I was trying to find where he ended up going because he's a 2024 recruit. Um, I'll need to search that when I'm when I'm done talking here. Um, but yeah, I think um, it's inter it's an interesting offer. I, the film is good. 
I think the competition there is a little bit in- so-so sometimes, not necessarily on its roster, but the teams are playing against. Um, but he has a ton of offers. Um, Auburn, Duke, Florida State, Louisville, Miami, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas A&M, um, Max Bola, Notre Dame's graduate assistant linebackers coach who has spent some time recruiting out on the road, um, visited him and and offered him. Uh, and uh, we'll see where his recruitment goes from here. This was his first season playing in America. Um, he had 72 tackles with 18 for a loss um, and two sacks. So um, a very productive linebacker um, that Notre Dame has recently offered. All right, next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ6008. Follow up, uh, RE Stanford. I believe Jack is the one who suggested that the Stanford series should maybe end. Um, Miami has no end of season rival. Could Notre Dame and the ACC make Miami a permanent opponent and end there in odd years? I'm sure the U would love it as opposed to having 18,000 show up to close to show up to close versus Pittsburgh or rotate an end of season ACC team with no rivalry game. Um, I mean, they could, but I'm not sure exactly how that will work. I, I think that's an interesting thing to explore, and that's going to be Pete Bavakwa's baby and not Jack Swarbrick, so he may have some different ideas. I know Notre Dame is like the USC-Stanford rotation of one of them coming to Notre Dame Stadium in the middle of October, one of them uh, hosting Notre Dame after Thanksgiving. Uh, Miami used to be an end-of-the-year opponent, uh, Notre Dame played down there. I remember in the Jerry Faust years when it wasn't uh, a very competitive uh, series. So I, I think they could do that. I just don't know how you work Miami coming, you know, is is then in an annual game that you have Miami come to Notre Dame every October. What will the other ACC teams think of that? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the one thing is, I think you can count on Miami to give you some schedule, strength of schedule, uh, points, octane in November. So I don't think this is a idea that I would dismiss. It would be something, but I don't know if you could make all the particulars work there. Yeah, um, I would question how much it means to Miami because Miami just moved its game that was scheduled for 2024 to 2026 uh with notre dame so uh i i I don't know i i i think jack really wants us to change the schedule for him and i don't know that we have that responsibility or ability (laughs) um i don't i don't know that it's something that notre dame values to play against miami on an annual basis um i think they see stanford as a more like university than miami um, so I think that would probably play a role in, in Notre Dame continuing to to try to play against Stanford. Yeah, they do want to play on the road that weekend, and they do want to play in warm weather. Um, following up on the Pritchett uh, children, Lawson Pritchett is the, was the 2024 recruit, and he is a linebacker, and he is enrolled at Georgia Tech currently. So I wanted to make sure I followed that up. And so Notre Dame uh, will see him this year maybe. All right. Um, last question we have is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. Thank you, Nathan. You, you submitted a number of different questions. Um, one which became um expired when you asked about whether or not Chad Bowden would stay at Notre Dame. Um Yes. So so uh this is the one question you did uh submit that we stuck with. Uh thoughts on Al Golden taking the BC job. My thoughts are there's zero chance of that happening. Um, And this is what happens again sometimes when there's a coaching opening. um, Either people don't, and I'm not saying this, you're guilty of this, Nathan. Sometimes people don't read the stories close enough and the qualifiers about the names that are being thrown out. Sometimes people are very careless about how they throw the names out. So sometimes people are just trying to throw out, here's some logical candidates that haven't been vetted. And so you come up with names with connections that might. And Al Golden would would make sense, except for who the Boston College the person who would hire him athletic director is really makes that kind of a non-starter. <laughs> I have it on very good authority that Al Golden has not only no interest in the Boston College job, 
he's not happy that his name has been floated in connection with the Boston College job. It's a headache for him. Yeah, so uh, Boston College's athletic director is Blake James, no relation to me. Um, he's the one who fired Al Golden at Miami. Uh, Golden uh, had some disputes with Miami and how his firing took place um, and, and filed some lawsuits. I don't know if any of the lawsuits actually ever stuck. Um, I think I think at least in relation to some of the pay that was that came about. I don't know. I probably shouldn't get too far in it because I don't know all the details. But anyways, I, it just sort of to to illustrate the disconnect there that was clearly there between Blake James and Al Golden. Uh, part of the lawsuit, Al Golden said a quote was attributed to Al Golden in a, in the press release press release after he was fire, fired, and Al said that that quote was fabricated. Um, and James ordered the public press release of a false quotation attributed to me. It did not provide me the platform to thank our student athletes and their families. Um, so I, there, it was a bad breakup, um, and certainly would isn't one that's going to um, be a, a, a fairy tale reuniting up, up there at Boston College, who I think is in a interesting position. I now maybe may, I think some people and some Boston College folks I've seen have, have floated the idea of Al Washington, um, who has Boston College ties. Um, of being the head coach there. I think that would be a big leap as someone who's just a position coach, but um, I don't know that the Boston college job, especially at this point in the coaching cycle is going to be a very attractive one to many people. Um, so it would be interesting to see where that search ends up, but I don't think it will be with Al Golden um, as its next head coach. All right. That is it for today's episode of the inside ND sports podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple podcast, Spotify and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who's recently turned down a job offer. As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideNDSports.com, so please take advantage of that with code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. We're still in a weekly mode with the podcast, and football never sleeps over on YouTube, so keep up with us in those places. We're planning to be live on YouTube on Monday night once again. Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. 